Welcome to Getting Personal with Daphne Bugler and Isabella Hobbs, your go-to podcast for all things emotional. Tune in weekly as we're joined by familiar faces from the worlds of sport, music, film, activism, and everywhere in between to talk about how emotions have shaped people's lives. This week's guest is a man of many talents. He is an influential pastor, bishop, success coach, speaker, author, philanthropist, entrepreneur, and the list goes on. He founded and currently leads the Harvest Church in Aurora, Colorado, a progressive, multicultural, multi-generational, non-denominational church. In 2008, our guest launched the Harvest Foundation, which puts on community-based events to meet the practical needs of the people, including the annual back-to-school event to provide students with new backpacks full of school supplies, food, clothing, haircuts, dental supplies, and much more, ensuring that every student in the community can return to school equipped with what they need. As an entrepreneur, our guest has created a step-by-step course to building a successful business. We're so pleased to announce that this week we are getting personal with Bishop Kevin Foreman. So it would be great to start off um, if you could tell our listeners a bit about yourself and um, just like what you do and the background to um, your work. That would just be great. Absolutely. So I am um, I am a pastor, uh, philanthropist. I believe that we make our living through our giving. Um, do a lot of TV and uh, and radio. I love um, love those types of experiences. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 12 years old. In fact, um, I helped pioneer a, a business loan program here for young entrepreneurs that were under 18. And uh, I happened to be jogging one day past that bank that I uh, did that at. And I said, I, I wonder if they still got my picture in there. So I went in there and lo and behold, they still have the picture of me from when I was 12 years old, uh, still upstairs uh, holding the business plan and what have you. And so that was a, uh, a full 360 moment. And uh, what else? I um, do a lot of speaking uh, and training for um, um, entrepreneurs, executives, business owners, and um uh, what else? Music. I'm in the Colorado Gospel Music Hall of Fame. I had the privilege of uh, being able to, to be inducted into that. So I do a little bit of everything. Um, I would say the only thing I, I don't really do is cook very well. Uh, I don't set <laughs> my thing. I set my thing. <laughs> so you haven't spent any of um, lockdown or, or during COVID-19 um, baking banana bread or anything like that? <laughs> oh, goodness. You wouldn't want it. It'd be more like banana cornbread if I made it. It would be, <laughs> it would be way too thick. So I used to be able to cook, interestingly enough, really well. And and then I just stopped. And then the only thing I can do now is breakfast. So I can, I can do a mean French toast. But you do not want anything after 1 p.m. from the kitchen. You just don't want it. That's the most important meal of the day. So that's absolutely fine. Do a good breakfast. True. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so if we start off um, with one of the first emotions we normally talk people through is fear, um, mm. whether that be um, anxiety or just stress or um, fear about something specific. So it would be great to kind of um, get from you. I know you do a lot of things like public speaking and you do music and stuff like that. You and you're very kind of um, you're very kind of public life in that sense that you are putting yourself in front of people. It would be great just right. to know. Um, what your experiences are with fear does fear come from a place of you know nervousness before that kind of thing or do you have you felt fear in other areas um has the way you felt it fear changed over the course of your life amazing question so there's some things that i can um remember very distinctly with fear and i think fear if i was to define it um you know everybody's got different acronyms different ways to define it i really see fear as the absence of the right information and so it's our way to try to gain control of a situation um and i can think back when i was a kid so i was born in Denver, Colorado, and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. So I actually really love the Southern culture of the United States and um, that interacting. We talk to everybody. We can have a full conversation with everybody in the grocery store. And somebody say, who is that? I don't know. I just met them in an aisle five. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, a drum machine had just came out. And when this drum machine had just come out, um, they said, come on in, come on in here, come on in here, come on and play it, come on and play the drum machine. And fear um, overtook me. I was so nervous and had anxiety about well, what is it going to sound like? Not taking into consideration the fact that everybody just got the machine. Nobody knows how to play the machine. It's going to be an experiment for everybody. And I think I remember that experience all of these years later because it taught me what it was to allow fear to make me miss seizing a moment and taking advantage of a moment. Um, and so as innocuous as that might be, that is a thought pattern that I keep now as it relates to things that happen. So um, when it came to, I was up in business, as I mentioned, since 12. And so, um, and simultaneously, I was in um, ministry during that time. And I built this business and turned it into one of the largest real estate finance businesses in this area, and certainly one led by an African-American man. And, um, you know, I remember thinking, wow, this is great. And to the weekend, one particular weekend where the industry collapsed, and I watched it happen on a Saturday morning on a particular cable news channel. And, um, and all of a sudden, fear hit me. What are you going to do? I didn't have the right information. I didn't know what was next. So fear hit me and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. And so the first thing I did is I went into denial. I went into denial that, well, this isn't really happening as big as it looks. This isn't happening as worse as it looks. And so on Monday, I remember calling one of our reps at one of the banks we use and um, and he said, oh, that's so unfortunate what happened with that bank. He said, no, it's the whole bank. I said, oh, it's so unfortunate what happened with that whole um, uh, uh, network in the, it was in Southern California. He said, no, it's the entire thing for the entire nation. I said, oh my goodness. I said, so what are we supposed to do? He said, well, you know, this is it. Um, and the fear of the unknown, what's next? What are you gonna do? I had just opened a brand new office just hired uh, 50 new people for that office. Um, and so it was a, it was a very jarring experience. Um, and ministry, I remember um, there'd be times where I would get up and sometimes on the musical side, if I was getting up, um, I could always feel this rush come right before I was getting up. And that's just because, well, you don't know how this is going to be received, how this is going to happen. And so fear is a, a realistic part 
of everyday life. And like I said, I just think it's the absence of the right information, but I also think it can be a great motivator to get things done. Um, I'd love to know, obviously, um, we can gather that faith to you um, is something that's really important in your life and defining, um, I guess, how you process things. But with something like fear, where does that sense of faith come into play? And does it help you power through things? Does it give you a sense of kind of reassurance about Mm -hmm. things? Great question. You know, I often hear people say, you know, fear is the opposite of faith. And, and I, I, I don't think that's necessarily inaccurate, but I definitely think it's incomplete. Um, I think fear is an indication you're about to use faith. Um, fear is like an indicator, like, you know, I'm, I like superheroes, Batman's my favorite, but, but he didn't have a Spidey sense. So I'll use Spider-Man where he would sense something. And that was his indication. You are getting ready to meet, you need to prepare. Something's about to happen. You need to be ready for it. So, uh, for me, uh, faith, you know, I, I really see as faith is not just what you believe. It's what you, it's what you, it's what you do based on what you believe. Um, and so, uh, it's action based, not just, um, not just knowledge based. And so, um, you know, when I sense fear, even to this day, I'm like, ah, time to use faith. So where is it that I need to be pushing forward instead of retreating? Where is it that I need to be taking action versus being inactive? Um, and so, it literally gives me, there's a scripture that comes to mind says, I can do all things. Um, and so whenever I face something that I've never faced before, never dealt with before, I always go back to, you know, I can do all things. And so the same way I got past this last year, the same way I'll get past this new thing this year um, with COVID and all of those types of things. When that hit um, this year, uh, I said, okay, well, you know, listen, the same way that I was before is the same way during. So while many people were shut down, I kept doing everything the same way that I did. And obviously we could have people, you know, a lot of crowds and things like that there, but I was live before I kept going live during. Um, and, uh, and so I tried to keep as much regularity as possible, but to me, Fear is an indication I'm about to use faith and there's nothing wrong with feeling the fear unless I let the fear stop me. Mm, That's interesting. You mentioned that um, you were live before COVID and you continue to be live during COVID as in streaming live. Um, How, how did you kind of, how did that affect the people around you? Because obviously you, you feel um, you're so much more prepared, but there is this fear of the unknown that's affecting everyone around the world, I think, and everyone that you're in direct contact with. Um, How have you found like to be able to support those people that obviously look up to you as, as, um, as like an important person in their life that um, guidance, how did you find that? Great question. So I think the best leadership is through example. I think people catch more. I think more is caught than taught. And so to me, it was important with so much changing so quickly, so rapidly. Um, you know, you go from one week, at least in, 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 the, in the States, you go from one week to where everything's fine, folks. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's good to the next week. Don't go anywhere. Stay at home. This is, you know, it was really that quick of a change. I remember traveling the week right before, you know, the stay at home orders and things began. And I remember walking to the airport and thinking, this is something out of a movie. Um, I've never seen, and this is before the quarantines and things were, were in place in many places. So for me, when I look at it, my example of 
don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do. Because um, I think one of the dangers of fear, if you if we don't handle it um, right and use it to take action, is that it becomes this paralysis. So we don't do anything. We sit and we don't do anything. And we ruminate, which is worse than worrying because you're worrying, you know, rumination is about something that's already happened. Um, and so I think for me, um, it was important that one, I continue to lead with strength and vulnerability at the same time. So be back to superheroes, be Clark Clint and Superman at the same time. Let people see you keep it moving, doing what you can do. But at the same time, be honest that this is a whole new world. We're going to learn it together. We're going to navigate it together. But you can count on me to be consistent. Because I think that's one of the other things fear does is it messes with you. It can mess with your consistency if we don't handle it the right way. So you begin getting inconsistent. And one of the things that I did get inconsistent with, I can be honest, I lost 95 pounds and it was just through how I started eating and things like that. But during Corona, during COVID, I, um, I started eating a lot more white bread than I used to eat. And so I started noticing, wait a minute, things are a little tighter than they used to be. Um, and that may seem small to someone else, but to me who was very disciplined, about um, some of those changes, I realized, wow, my consistencies began to be impacted. And so every day it was a fight to remain consistent. I'd love to talk a bit um, about anger as an emotion. And I think it's interesting because, um, you know, you're in the United States right now and there's a lot, it's kind of a real time of change, I think, in a lot of ways, but also there's a lot of unknowns. You know, you're coming up to this big election. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, just in the news, just, you know, internationally, but particularly, I think there's a lot going on in the US. Um, I'd love to know how, you know, obviously there is a lot of anger from everyone on every side of everything that's going on. Um, I'd love to know from you, how do you cope with, you know, sometimes it can be very overwhelming, things like that. And how do you kind of channel that positively? Because you often, you come across on your social media where you do discuss some of these topics, but you discuss them with such a positive um, way of looking at things and a very kind of motivational, inspirational take. Um, how do you go about doing that within yourself? Great question. Um, so I'll be honest, I get angry all the time. Um, I get angry all the time. Um, I think the anger is one letter away from danger. So I look to me to take that anger, same way I use with faith, let it give me action, right? Because emotions, if we just look at the etymology of the word E, out of motion, out of change. So emotions are a way to respond to things changing. And the truth is, especially right now, it is no, um, it's no unknown um, that America has got some deep racism issues. Um, you know, it's sort of interesting to me when people say things about, let's make America great again. Well, what part was it great? Um, as it relates to how it treated its minorities and how it treated its women, how it's treated its non-white males, just to be frank. Uh, I'm a leader of all races, all backgrounds, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, uh, young, not as young. I don't think we used to call themselves old, so um, there's not as young. So to me, there's not a monolith in how I approach this subject. Back to your point, of, I like to, let's be solution-oriented because at the end of the day, it's true. America's got deep racism problems. As a black man in America who has been very avant-garde since I was a child, I have dealt with racism every single day of my life. And a lot of it 
has been structural um, in the sense that, well, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Um, in Denver, where I live, we're getting ready to do a new location in Atlanta, which is the opposite of Denver and uh, its demographic layout. But in Denver, there are literally 62,217 African-Americans out of two and a half million people. So um, in the metro area. So a lot of it is, well, what are you doing here? Um, how did you get this? Where are you doing this? So, oh, you're in charge. Oh, you know, those types of things where it is a substratum in the interaction. And I'm going to be honest, it makes you angry. Watching the protests and the response to the protests, it makes you angry. Watching um, what I deal to be inept leadership from the top here makes you angry. Um, and I said, okay, I can either let this anger just make me mad and holler and scream and, and you know, and all of that, or I can turn it into action. Um, so anger is a part of my everyday life, not just with what's happening in America, but just when things don't go the way we plan, et cetera. So I get angry often, but I say, okay, you need to take some action. Like, okay, be mad, holler. You know, I've got some other ways that I sometimes get anger out to and uh, being real and honest um, and get it out and then I'll go do something about it. And so, you know, when you look at racism and injustice in America, I said, I'm going to use my influence to influence influencers. So from every level of government, every level of policy, right after the protests began for George Floyd, um, or in result of George Floyd, I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, of years of this going on. Um, you know, um, I said, all right, I can be on the front lines of the protest or I can use all of these people who call me their leader, who call me their pastor, who say, he, you know, he inspires me, this. And that's what I did. So I picked up the phone that Sunday right after that happened. And I made a call to one of our state legislators. And I said, listen, I don't want to hear the platitudes. I want action. I said, what do we need to do? That conversation precipitated into a bill that was released that Thursday uh, in the state house. Eventually that bill would go to the Senate. It'd be passed. And um, then you'd have, you know, two weeks later, that bill was signed into law. So Colorado became the first state. And think of it. It's not that many. It's 4% African-American. Colorado became the first state to pass some type of comprehensive reform to begin to address some of those issues. So to me, I turned anger into action. And it wasn't single, single-handedly single because just because of me, they had been in some basic discussion. But certainly, um, we we gave them both the pressure and the insight to make that happen. So I just think anger has got to turn into action. Mm. How um, your... Um I guess, would you call it your congregation? Did you get any kind of negative feedback or negative reactions um, during the Black Lives Matter protests and when you were using your voice to speak up and to rally everyone together? Because I know that a lot of influencers or people that have a large social following, like they received a lot of backlash from kind of like very prejudiced, very racist people, though they may not think that they're racist, about Black Lives Matter. Um, what was your experience with that? Did you get any backlash? You know, uh, I got to be honest, it was very minimal. Um, and I am a very um, bam, here it is type of person. Um, and so, and I, but I lay out facts and I lay out information. And I also try to lay it out in a way to say, listen, you may or may not agree and that's fine, but you're not, you know, but I got the mic. So, um, so in laying it out that way, 
I, I got to be honest, I don't recall there being a whole lot. Um, uh, and I think, to be honest, for 99% of, you know, uh, those that I lead, you know, of every race, um, every ethnicity, every background, the sentiments were the same. Um, and I think that, you know, the only time I did hear something when I would do guest appearances on some shows that would perhaps present another angle. And, um, you know, that was probably the extent of it. But by and large, um, I don't recall there being a lot. Denver, interestingly enough, has been a, a, a hub for protest um, for, you know, a variety of social issues. And I think that's one of the things I do appreciate about the area is, is you know, if Denver gets fired up about stuff, they're going to protest, um, and um, which I think has got some help in it to get that anger out. Um, you know, obviously, you want to do it in a responsible way, but I think it's good to get it out um, to turn it into action. Um, closely kind of linked to that, firstly, kind of say how amazing that story is that you and the work that you've been doing is. Um, and so inspiring and I'm sure it's made such a difference to those who follow you especially um in uplifting them and helping them stay motivated um I also just want to link in a bit sadness kind of comes very in, intertwined I guess with some of these emotions that we and like the idea of anger and the protests and you know this kind of um what that's brought to light I think that um and the kind of things that we've been seeing and hearing about um which obviously have been there for years but you know as people have said you know it's just not been recorded and now we're seeing it and um how do you have you found it at all that it's been not necessarily um about the protests even but do you ever find that it's hard to cope with those kind of things or um do you find that the sadness can sometimes be overwhelming and how do you again going back to the positivity that you kind of um that you have and that you rely on your socials and in your work how do you kind of turn that just like you do with anger into a into a way to inspire people great question um yes one the sadness comes yes can it in moments be overwhelming yes i can remember and and what i love about this conversation is i think it's so healthy for everybody especially men um especially men that have, have dealt with a lot and been through a lot um to get emotions out so that you don't become this toxic cocktail of the wrong words at the wrong moment can result in boom um, so absolutely, um, you know, just doing what I do, um, you know, as a leader of people. So we've got, um, our churches, then we've got our network of churches, which is leading other leaders. We've got a Bible college. We've got our foundation. We've got all of what we do from the, um, influencing side, political side, all of the social stuff, um, business stuff. Um, I'm going to be honest, sadness can be a thing that just is associated with the seat. Um, you know, you deal with people who sometimes you think are going to be around forever and they're not. Um, and you know, now pe people used to, used to tell you they were going to disappear on you. Now they just ghost you. They just disappear. And that's not just in relationships. That's just, that's in business. That's in life. That's in, um, philanthropic work or whatever it might be. So that can come. And I can remember one day driving down the street and uh, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm got this superhero thing, right? So I like to, I just power through it, knock through it. But I'm also realistic that there's time for me to, you know, be, have those emotional moments and get that out. Um, for me, it's just, I need to do some actors. And I remember driving down the street one day and I just broke down crying. 
Um, I mean, I'm driving down the street and, you know, you know, I, I was probably finished the meeting or something or finished the call or negotiation or something. And just, I mean, I just broke down crying. Um, and it, it was more so that was more so related to the seat, um, just what comes with it and people and interacting with people and disappointments um, and, you know, breaches of trust. And then when you compile that with the climate of a country that says, um, you know, um, this statue is more important than you, um, you know, just to be real frank and direct about it, you know, it, it certainly can create a sense of sadness and frankly, a sense of despair that there can be progress. And I think you you experience that. I know for me, I experienced that moment. I deal with the reality of that moment. And back to my nature is then I get up and say, okay, so what are you going to do with this? Because you just can't sit in the bed all day. You can't, you know, you can't sit in the bed all day and watch TV. You can't just make French toast three times a day and because you can't make anything else. You can't just make French toast three times a day and, and sit back. So for me, I, I, um, I certainly know what it is and I'd like to get it out, have those discussions um, and, uh, and be okay with that. Um, I can think more, just one other quick story. I can think of one time, where um, it was, um, uh, it was uh, after we had finished a service, and um, and just the just everything just kind of at one minute. And I remember, I mean, I I cried so hard, I felt like I was went swimming, like it, I smelled chlorine, and I don't even know how you smell chlorine from crying. I mean, it was it was intense. But I learned that every now and then, for me. I need to have those moments to just get it out. And so even with sadness, I surround myself with people that love me. Uh, I'm very close to my mother and grandmother. So we, those are my brunch buddies. And, and so we're together often, um, other people, friends that, that love me. And I just try to get it out as quickly as possible so that it doesn't fester because sadness can lead to depression and then depression can become very dangerous. Um. I'd love to ask a bit about, you've mentioned how for men, um, it can be often, you know, not seemed, not deemed acceptable to cry or to show your emotions. Mm -hmm. And it can often, you know, boil up. And um, as a man yourself, have you ever had those experiences where someone said to you, or you felt like you couldn't be emotional or you weren't, you know, allowed to cry or you, you know, where people were, you felt like people were judging you for that. Has, has that been an experience you've had? You know, I I think the only feelings I've had about that that I can recall have been ones that I created or ideologies I created that when you're a leader, you don't do this. Um, when you are the man up front, you don't do this. But I can't say that anybody ever said that to me, um, nor can I say, uh, I think as a kid, I remember, you know, you hit your head on the coffee table and stop that crying, stop that crying. I think that type of a thing. Um, and and I think that does create this substratum. And then I was the oldest son. And I watched my mother, um, an incredible woman, I watched her um, deal with domestic violence and a variety of things that, um, you know, when you're the oldest son, you're the protector. So, you know, you think from a protective standpoint. And I watched her navigate through that and overcome that and beat that. Um, and so I think there was more so this thought in me 
that you've got to always be the protector. So to be the protector, you can't go there. You you don't have time. Let them cry while you're holding them. Let them mourn while you're doing that. Um, and I'll be honest, um, um, I don't think I let that get toxic. I think I allowed it to give me the ability to, you know, know when, where, and how to let those emotions out and to deal with them. Because I think sometimes, you know, some people are just, you know, they're just emotional all the time, everywhere, you know, everywhere, all the time. Um, and I don't think if you doing what I do, I don't think I would be very effective if I led that way and operated that way, because it would be difficult for people to follow a moving target. I think it's important to get that balance, like you said, of of being a protector, being the brave one to be able to comfort and let someone else cry and use your shoulder, but then to have that vice versa and to be able to let yourself be vulnerable and to cry on someone else's shoulder. But yeah, I think it, it's a fine balance that I think we all just need to, we need to work at so we can take turns being brave and take turns being sad if we need to. Right, right. I love yeah. what you said, though, though, to take take turns. And I think that goes back to having people around. You don't need a lot of people. You just need the right people. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes in people around us, we sometimes it's easy to focus on the qu- the quantity of friends, the quantity of close relationships um, versus the quality. Um, and, you know, the quality, I think, is most important. If I was to use uh, Jesus, for example, if you were look at the Bible, you'd see he had these 12 guys that were with him full time three guys that he transfigured himself where he got vulnerable in front of and only one guy who was John that you ever saw him have any type of emotional exchange with. Um, And I use that as a pattern to say, I'm not going to have as many people that I can really go there with, um, but that's okay. Just as long as I've got quality within that small quantity, that's, that's the key. And I think, for anybody, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their background, like it's not the quantity of people you have around you, it's the quality. And if you get you one or two good ones, oh my God, you got gold. <laughs> Friendship is gold, I love that. Um, if we kind of delve deep into the emotion of love, you've already mentioned your mother and your grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I'd also like to hear more about kind of that love that you find in the community, because I'm particularly interested in the Harvest Foundation that you started sure. uh, well over 10 years ago now, I think. Yeah, right. Um, right. particularly because right. my, um, my background and my career is in education, particularly early education. So I love that you've got this back to school drive where you can give the kids like backpacks and school supplies and like a, like a fresh haircut before they start school and things like that. Um, so I wanted to find out more about kind of like your love for your community. Is this kind of like the foundation you started? Did you have anything similar in your community that you saw or experienced growing up? Or did you wish that you had that kind of community spirit and that community love? You know, great point. I think, um, you know, again, born in Denver, raised in Memphis. In Memphis, the Southern culture, generally speaking, um, you have this sense of community where everybody is some type of family to some degree, right? I remember we grew up in um, uh, a city called Orange Mound, which is an area of Memphis called Orange Mound. And interestingly enough, post-slavery, it was Black Wall Street. It was the highest concentration of African-American wealth in the nation. And and then um, through some social uh, um, uh, engineering, I'll say, um, that changed. That being said, 
everybody created it. So I remember across the street, you had, uh, her name was Sarah. And uh, and she uh, uh, was my great great grandmother. She was, uh, they were buddies, and they would talk. And there was this communal feel that you always had. Then you'd walk a little further down the street, and you got to Stacy's house, and right there's this communal feel that you always had. You'd walk to the corner store. My great great grandmother, she always used to drink Coca Cola. She didn't say Coca-Cola. It was always Coca-Cola, how you said it in the South. And uh, I'd walk down there. So there was always this community, communal feel that you had in the South that wherever you went, you were somebody's kid, right? So it didn't matter if you weren't, you know, their niece, nephew, cousin, what have you, they were going to treat you that way. Um, And so um, here, when we began the foundation, um, it was all about um, me wanting to make a difference. Like, I believe that we're blessed to be a blessing and that our lives are changed so we can change lives. So to me, the moment a person achieves, accomplishes, has, it is their responsibility to make sure that they now do that for somebody else. People sometimes say paying it for different things. I just think it's the responsibility that you had. Like, why did you get successful then? Why did you achieve something? Why did you, like you came out of a bad emotional place? Why aren't you then helping? What was the point of it if it was only for you? Because if it's only for you, when you die, your name is never spoken of in the earth again. Um, But if you use your life to impact the lives of others, um, your work will speak for you years and years afterwards. And so um, to me, it was important to make that difference. So with kids, I said, we got all these kids that are not going back to school um, with what they need. Um, And despite all of the wealth that's in the area, I said, you got kids that are homeless. You got kids that aren't eating. You got kids who they can't get a haircut. And so I said, let's find a need and let's meet that need. And literally, we started it the first year we did it, uh, which I think was 2007, 2007, 2008, something like that. First year we did it, I told one of my team members, one of my staffers, I said, I want to do this. And I said, you got two weeks to make it happen. And so uh, we made it happen. So we created all these great partnerships, all these corporations. It rained out that particular time in August. Colorado's weather can be a little crazy. It rained out. But we still had an amazing turnout. I mean, it was like four or five hundred that turned out in the rain, um, which is amazing. Um, And so we met that need and then it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew Uh, from there to thousands and thousands, tens of thousands now that we've served. And I think um, it was just all about let's meet this need and to see the smile on a kid's face being being raised by a strong woman who made it happen for her kids. I get joy when I see particularly a single parent home, um, you know, man or woman, but I gotta be honest, a little bit more towards the female side, that when I see that, I, I know what she's going through. Not because I've been in her shoes, but I've watched somebody else wear those shoes. And I know the pressure and the um, intensity that comes with that and the responsibility and the emotions, I get it. So I was like, let me help y'all out. Let me do what I can do to make back to school. It's going to be a stressful time, um, something better. And so that's one thing. We adopt families all throughout the year. Um, We meet needs, especially now during COVID. We just gave away, last month we gave away, it's just shy of $100,000 worth of stuff. It's like $96,717, something like that, dollars worth of stuff that we gave away. Um, clothing and we get away two cars. And, and so it's just, to me, that's just the blessed to be a blessing. So 
um, especially when you're talking about kids, because you never know how their life is impacted. I remember the teachers that impacted my life in a significant way. And and uh, so I just say, you know what, let's do what we can do to make sure that we can find that need and meet it. It's so inspiring. And I, I love that. So that's such just so great that you can that you can do that and that you give back in that way. Um, I'd love you've mentioned your mother and your grandmother and how she was such uh, she is such a strong woman and how that inspired you and, um, you know, how important it was to you growing up. What are some of the kind of big lessons that you've learned in your life from your mother and from growing up um, with such a strong woman in your life? Great question. Um, you know, I would say one of those lessons is make it happen. Um, and that wasn't necessarily articulated. It was just observed. Again, I think we catch more. I think more is caught than taught. We observe more that teaches us than necessarily what people say, which is why uh, I think the best thing we could do is, is live our values and principles, not just espouse them and say them because people will catch it. Um, so one, make it happen. Um, I always saw her make it happen. Um, regardless of what was going on, I always saw her make it happen. Um, there was never a time where we went without. There was never a time where, um, you know, something didn't get done. There was never a time where, you know, we were, oh my God, what's going to happen? She made it happen. So that would be a big lesson. And I'd say maybe two others would be Number two, she was, she is um, very loving, um, and um, and very merciful. And I had to learn two lessons from that. So I'll use this to, to teach two lessons. On one side, when we were going to sleep as kids, we would do like the round robin of "I love you." Like, I love, good night, I love you, 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 good night, I love you. And everybody would say it. We'd holler it throughout wherever we were. We'd holler it throughout the house, and. Um, that's the way we operated. And so, I mean, just an incredible amount of love despite heartbreak. And I think that's such a powerful lesson that you don't let what you've been through damage you to the point to where you cannot continue to love. Um, and that was important for me because I know for me, uh, as I would, you know, just start going through life, experiencing heartache and, and um, you know, in whatever form, you know, my thing would be like, oh, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm done. But you can't live that way. Um, we're built to pour. So if we're built to pour, if you're not pouring, you're stagnant. And stagnant water always stinks. Nothing can live in it. Um, and the, but the other, the flip side, saying all of that, the flip side of that is one of the lessons I learned was um, sometimes to restrain my mercy. Um, every problem isn't my problem to solve and to fix. And don't take on the weight I'm not built to carry the weight of other people. Um, and so I had to learn that lesson because I, I, true to my nature, you know, when I would in business, I can remember the people I would hire weren't professionals that knew the business. It was people that I was like, let me give them a chance. Let me give them a shot. And it really turned into, you know, the Bishop Foreman job training program um, because we were investing and teaching, but teaching everything A to Z. And, I lived my life that way um, and consequently, and sometimes you ignore the fact that um, you can be kind to everyone, but everyone doesn't necessarily need you to make, you know, um, you know, that level of investment. So um, poor, but then also poor wisely. Mm -hmm. 
So if we just move on to our final emotion, which is, I think, everyone's favorite one, <laughs> uh, happiness. Um, so yeah. what, what we tend to do um, with our guests is... Um, we like to talk about kind of what, what we call like bubbles of happiness. So throughout the day, throughout your week, throughout your entire life, there'll be these moments, these little bubbles that ne aren't necessarily the biggest thing. It doesn't have to be getting a new job or having an exciting holiday or whatever. It could be like listening to a great song and having a dance by yourself or hearing uh, the rain and it's really calming like we said about the rain, the rain was not calming. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, but those, like, those like little, those bubbles, having a nice cup of coffee in the morning. What are your kind of small, everyday bubbles of happiness? Oh, this is fun. Oh, this is fun. Because <laughs> I have several. Um, I have several. So because I'm always, go, 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 go. I normally always on the phone, uh, especially now. Um, simple, the simplest things can bring me the greatest happiness. Um, so I will, one, I, I won't say it, but I have a device where you say her name. If I say her name, she's going to respond. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but I said it and I'll say play such and such. And I will literally have a dance party. And I don't know if I can dance or not, but to me, you know, it gets the job done. Um, <laughs> I will have a dance party, listen to, I love, um, like old school, new Jack swing R&B music. So I love artists like Guy and that whole timing of music, like the late 80s, early 90s, that whole thing. Like, I love that type of music. Um, and so, and then I love lots of other things too. So I can listen to country western. I can listen to rock. I can listen to, if I hear it and I love it, boom, I want to go to go to it. And so um, those bring me great happiness. And normally, I will have to, you know, I'll FaceTime and I'll make it like a virtual dance party. Like, listen, we're all getting on this thing together today. Um, I love that. A good meal is another another bubble. I love to eat good. Um, and so a good meal is like super satisfying to me um, and brings me um, tremendous happiness. It also taught me too that sometimes I could be an emotional eater. So back to taking action, I realized, okay, this can't be a coping mechanism for frustration. <laughs> like, okay, you've had enough um, and keep it moving. But I love to do that. Um, I love great conversations. Um, I'm a communicator, so I love to have an amazing conversation. An amazing conversation to me is extremely satisfying. Um, the movies, which just opened back up here, um, so I will be seeing my first one literally today. Um, so I love going to the movies. I used to do something called Movie Mondays, and I would go see a movie, and it would be great happiness. Um, and I know it was good. If I put my phone down, it was great. If I was on my phone the whole time, then I didn't particularly enjoy that film. But um, simple things, a great car ride. Sometimes I just get in the car and just drive. Um, it's where are you going? Just I don't have any agenda. I'm just driving. Um, it's very exciting. So those are some of the, the 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 pockets that I love. And I would say the final one are bubbles that I love. The final one, reading um, the lives that have been impacted. Um, like when you read somebody's story and they say, you know, I was going to commit suicide. I was going to do this. I was going to do that. And I watched one of your videos or I downloaded your podcast or I got on your Instagram and started watching the videos or I 
whatever it might be. I got your app, whatever it might be. And you start reading stories of people to say, I didn't do that. Or I was getting ready to give up. I was getting ready to give up on my family. I was getting ready to quit. I was getting ready to give up on belief. I was going to give it again. When you read those stories and you see how real life impact is, one comes to mind uh, here recently, a woman, uh, her son, she lost her son. And, uh, um, and losing her son, it was a senseless act of, of violence as she lost her son. And she was brand new to um, the, um, um, the church side. And so I hadn't actually met her because right when they started coming, that's when everything shut down. So the only interaction was online. And um, this happens and we're there and all of that. And, and, you know, she not that long ago wrote a letter and a card just explaining um, how, you know, how that helped her navigate through that moment. And I remember thinking of my mother again, going back to that, thinking of, wow, I could only imagine the, the emotions and the feelings that she said. And it gave me happiness to know that I was part of and am part of her healing process and um, and that she's able to bounce back from something so tragic and unnecessary. So all of those things, you give me a good meal and a good conversation, I'm there. Oh, I'm sorry we can't offer you any food this evening, seems as we're thousands of miles <laughs> away, otherwise it's um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's so great, the things you've said, and I think it's very important that we acknowledge that even if, maybe if our listeners or people that we know are going through the worst of times or just are feeling the lowest of the low, that there are these bubbles of happiness. Like you said, just having a nice meal, letting yourself have a nice meal, letting yourself have a conversation, that that's all we need really. And things always get better. And those bubbles of happiness is definitely what we need. Yes, yes. And, I, and being okay that, you know, I love how you articulated that because the bubble, you know, I think of blowing a bubble, it's not going to stay up there forever. But while it's there, you chase it, right? While it's there, you know, we're laughing, we're having a good time. And that's something I had to learn. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy now. Um, because I think we're so, again, concerned about what has been, which is foolish because we can't change it and then worried about what's to come. And sometimes I know for me, I didn't enjoy the moment. I know many men, especially many, um, and, and not just men, but I think women that are go-getters and like to make things happen, we're always moving on the next and we're never enjoying now. So now is simply a uh, practice for next. And the problem is you're not enjoying it because you're using it to get ready for next, but you're not enjoying it now. So enjoying i love that i'm gonna use that so i'm gonna license that from you i'm gonna get there bubbles of happiness because i think that's so true so good oh well thank you so much um for joining us um it would be great if um just to end would you mind telling our listeners where if they are inspired by you or if they want to go and listen to your podcast or find out more about you could you tell them where they can find you Absolutely. Well, let me just say to you all, thank you so much for this conversation and um, and inspiration now, because I'm telling you that bubbles, ha- you're going to see it on my stuff. You're going <laughs> to see it on there, bubbles of happiness. No, but thank you all, because I think this is such a good, healthy um, 
dialogue and conversation to have. So thank you all for the opportunity. And for those that would love to connect, we'd love for you to do that. Um, all of my social media is Bishop Foreman. So you're me with the boxer, George Foreman. It's F-O-R-E-M-A-N. I just don't have seven kids. Um, but it's uh, Bishop Foreman, B-I-S-H-O-P-F-O-R-E-M-A-N. That's Instagram. That's Facebook. That's the website, bishopforman.com. Um, that's also Twitter um, and uh, and all of that. TikTok, it's the same thing. And Bishop Foreman or the website, bishopforman.com. And on there, they can see we've got an app. We've got like 1,200 plus inspirational messages that people can get totally free, no charge to them. They can get that. Um, I do a leadership podcast also to help leaders go further faster. Um, there's some real practical stuff, you know, not just this very macro, but the micro day-to-day leadership. So there's tons of resources that we've got. Bishopforman.com or any of the social media at Bishopforman. Thanks for listening to Getting Personal. Don't forget you can like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And give us a review and a rating. It helps other listeners find us in the charts. We'll see you next time.